Global Business News 24 hours a day at Bloomberg.com, the Radio Plus mobile app, and on your radio. This is a Bloomberg Business Flash. From Bloomberg World Headquarters, I'm Charlie Pellet. We are looking at a mixed day for U.S. equities here. We have got the S&P little changed, and this update is brought to you by Sector Spider ETFs. Why buy a single stock when you can invest in the entire sector? Visit SectorSPDRS.com or call one 866 sector ETF. Dow and S&P lower, NASDAQ higher, NASDAQ up 14, a gain there of two-tenths of one percent. S&P down half a point now, and the Dow is down 18. Energy continues to be the big story today. Gasoline up 2.8 percent. West Texas Intermediate Crude Oil is down 2.6 percent, down $1.25 a barrel to $46.62. Gold up 18.50 the ounce, higher by 1.4 percent, and the tenure up 330 30 seconds with a yield of 2.16%. I'm Charlie Pellet. That's a Bloomberg Business Flash. All right, Charlie, thank you very much. You are listening to Bloomberg Markets on this Monday. I'm Carol Masser in our Bloomberg 1130 studio. My co-host, Corey Johnson, is off. It is 1148 in the Bay Area and 248 on Wall Street. The following is from Bloomberg View. Opinions and commentary from Bloomberg columnists. I'm Justin Fox, a columnist for Bloomberg View. In the U.S. and much of Western Europe, People with college degrees have come to dominate politics. That's partly just because lots more people have been getting degrees. But the result is that those without college educations, who still constitute a large majority in all these countries, have increasingly been shut out of the political process. In a new book called Diploma Democracy, two Dutch political scientists argue that this is dangerous. Those with college degrees and those without them see the world in dramatically different ways. Ignoring the views of the latter is undemocratic and a recipe for trouble. We've seen some of that trouble lately in the U.S., U.K., and elsewhere. Part of the solution is going to have to involve strengthening the political role of those with fewer educational credentials. I'm Justin Fox, a columnist for Bloomberg View. For more Bloomberg opinion and commentary, please go to BloombergView.com or view go on the Bloomberg Terminal. This has been Bloomberg View. Bloomberg View commentaries can be heard every weekday at this time, also at 5.48 a.m., 8.48 a.m., and 11.48 a.m. Wall Street time, right here on Bloomberg Radio. If you think of Africa, it is certainly known for many things that includes wild animals, minerals, diamonds. But uh, what about venture capital? Silicon Valley taking an interest in Africa, according to our next guest. We want to talk about this. Jake Bright is an author, writer, and contributor to TechCrunch, an online publisher of tech industry news, widely followed. He joins us on the phone in Hartford, Connecticut. Jake, nice to have you here. Tell me a little bit about uh, what's going on. We often see, you know, venture capitalists interested in the emerging world, uh, China India, we hear about that a lot, about investments on a weekly basis. But what's going on in Africa specifically? Hi, Carol. Thanks for having me back. Uh, what's going on in African tech is, over the last five years in particular, you've really seen the emergence of a real ecosystem, uh, you know, including startups, entrepreneurs. Uh, you know, there's like 300 accelerators on the continent. You started to see uh, VC investment. But also what you've seen over the last year and a half in particular is just a, a real almost explosion of African tech in terms of the startup boom, uh, in terms of uh, you had the continent's first unicorn. And to what you were speaking about, 
Silicon Valley, both in terms of blue chip companies that are expanding um, into the continent and also in terms of VC, uh, are really starting to take an interest in Africa, uh, again, especially over the last year and a half. I feel like I have a million questions. And, and first of all, um, I want to know some of those companies that are, are doing it, those blue chip companies. And, and, and secondly, tell me a little bit about the developing consumer base that we're seeing in Africa. Is it about Africans buying African goods or is it about the rest of the world being able to tap into goods, uh, made in Africa? Well, on one, uh, just over the last year and a half, I mean, I'll just clip off some developments that I've covered. Over the last year and a half, you've seen expansion by big-name tech companies that include Uber. Uh, IBM has a $100 million research facility in Kenya that it expanded into South Africa. Netflix turned the switch on to the entire continent in 2016. Google's expanded. Uh, Facebook is doing a lot, um, including hosting a startup competition in October, and they're doing a lot also in terms of expanding uh, their free basics to improve connectivity. And then to your second question, uh, a lot of the African tech pieces, though it, it's multi-sectoral, uh, a lot of it is, is forming around this consumer base, which is starting to come alive um, very strongly. And the big story that connects that to a big blue chip name that everybody knows about is eBay. Mm-hmm. So eBay last year uh, turned on in a partnership with MallForAfrica.com, which is uh, an African startup. Um, they, they turned on um, some – they opened up their platform or let some of their vendors sell into Africa. But just last week, the story that we broke is that eBay also uh, opened up its platform with Wall for Africa. So for the first time, uh, select African vendors are able to sell into the U.S. market. Um, so what you see is that there's a lot of structural difficulties to commerce in Africa, both internal to some of the core economies, but also across borders. And what you start to see is on e-commerce, both um, within the continent, but to your point, between uh, markets, it's starting to have a bit of a leapfrog capability in, in you know, creating opportunities for trade that really didn't exist previously. What's kind of cool too, Jake, right? We've all been in stores, I don't know, over the last 10, 20 years where you come across, you know, made in Africa and it's kind of novelty or not novelty, but just kind of, uh, you know, interesting goods. Isn't this kind of cool? But we're talking about, you know, eBay being involved there to really allow African-made goods, African companies um, become much bigger players in the global commerce space. Well, that's exactly right. And, um, you know, I've, I've worked with uh, Mall for Africa CEO, Chris Halean, for several years in terms of his work with that startup. And what he talked about and, and what became a kind of a thesis for the eBay partnership is that Mall for Africa first what they do is they've created partnerships with big brand name U.S. stores, right, like, you know, Macy's or Bloomingdale's to seamlessly sell their products into Africa. But Chris, and the story goes that when Chris was out speaking and he was on the continent and also speaking in the U.S., he kept getting questions from African vendors who are now, um, they're doing a lot of stuff with fashion, mm-hmm. um, handbags, and, and even, uh, you know, African fashion has gotten the attention of Vogue and Chanel. And what he said a lot of people are asking is, when are you going to create a partnership that allows us uh, the possibility to sell our goods into the U.S. market? So this first round of goods that eBay sticks with Mall for Africa, um, they're going to expand that, but it's artisanal. It's, it's handbags. It's, it's uh, dresses made by new African designers that are now going to be available uh, on eBay uh, through a new partnership. 
What about also um, Africa's involvement in the space race, right? We see the private sector, whether it's Elon Musk, whether it's Jeff Bezos, um, you know, we see so many, Richard Branson, so many uh, individuals interested privately in the private sector in the space race. Africa, too. Well, that's part of, you know, the, the modernization thesis, right? So, you know, I wrote about this in my book. Um, you know, Africa still has plenty of problems, and it's not going to be a tendency overnight, but there's a modernization process going on in certain countries. So recently, um, and I should note that South Africa has done stuff in space for years, but recently uh, you had uh, Africa launching with first satellite. Both Nigeria and Ghana launched satellites, and it was in partnership with SpaceX. So the last SpaceX rocket that launched out of NASA had satellites from Ghana and Nigeria. Um, and what it's done is it's created a bit of, uh, I, wouldn't, I don't know if I'd call it a space race yet, mm-hmm, right. but now you have commitments coming out of African governments. Um, Angola has committed to a space program. Right. Ethiopia has committed to a space program. So, you know, it's, it's part of this modernization profile that you see on the continent. Um, right. Some of it connects to tech, but it's, it's a very different thing than what people are used to hearing about Africa. Right, and Africans can certainly kind of leapfrog some of the steps that we've had to take uh, as they kind of move and advance forward and uh, really embrace the technological world. Jake Bright, contributor at TechCrunch, uh, joining us on the phone from Hartford, Connecticut. His book, by the way, is called The Next Africa. This is Bloomberg Radio.